0: I wasn't terribly surprised i thought it made sense dramaturgically hello and welcome back to another episode of dramaturgically i'm your host stephen clark and on today's episode we are of course going to be talking about the 1950 absolute classic from director billy wilder sunset boulevard Sunset Boulevard follows the story of Joe Gillis, a hack screenwriter who finds himself in the midst of a former Hollywood film star who has faded into obscurity, which is, of course, the infamous Norma Desmond, portrayed by Gloria Swanson. Now, this film is an absolute workhorse of a film. It has so much to say about so many different topics, and um, truly, as I was watching this for the first time... I was finding myself just completely entranced in, um, I guess, w- what spirals into a bit of a bit of an odyssey. To be honest, um, I mean, my experience with Billy Wilder films up to this point has definitely shown me that this guy absolutely had the finger on the pulse of the darker side of the, I guess, American society, and I guess the the. The more, the more um, darker aspects of of what people um, were going through at this time. Specifically, this film is is a really excellent um, analysis on on Hollywood and on the industrial complex that is um, the film industry, and how it chews people out, chews people up, and spits them out. Um, specifically. Norma Desmond's character, uh, you know, she was a famous silent film star who essentially, uh, lost her parts as she grew older and became more and more irrelevant. But the people around her, um, such as her, uh, very, (laughs) very eager butler, uh, Max, um, who continues to write fan mail for her, keeps her essentially entranced in this, um, Delusional fixation with her own fame and her inability, I guess, to to let go of her youth and to let go of her successful years, um, sort of spirals into something that becomes quite dangerous, quite menacing, um, and ultimately, um, without spoiling too much, um, something quite tragic. Yeah. So, I think the the big the the big thing with this film, really, for me, is is this relationship between Joe Gillis. Um, played by William Holden and of course Norma Desmond played by Gloria Swanson Uh, this is sort of the central conflict of the film Uh, Joe Gillis being a down on his luck writer he sort of can't get his films made he sort of gets told him that he's sort of average um, finds himself uh, on the run from some uh, debt collectors and he hides his car he tries to hide his car in this uh, mansion when his his tire blows out and it happens to be the mansion of Norma Desmond's now, initially, after a bit of a sort of comedic scene where he essentially walks into a bit of a scenario where they're expecting um, expecting a a, a, few, a a grave digger to arrive, and he sort of fulfils that fulfils that role comedically for a few minutes. Um, he reveals himself and his true identity um, to Norma Desmond, who immediately uh, decides to try and get him to leave the house, but. After realizing that he recognizes her from silent films There sort of begins to form this relationship between the two And at first I wasn't sure whether or not this relationship was going to be something that was portrayed as uh, romantic or sexual in any way um, because they really layer it in such an interesting way where Norma's sort of fixation on Joe becomes representational of her own fixation with connecting back uh, with the film industry itself. You know, she sees him as someone who's young and uh, in the industry, and, you know, he, he does nothing to dissuade her of this illusion. You know, he tries to tell her that he's a successful writer and he's fully booked out and his fees are very high. Um, but after she shows him a... A bit of a dud of a film script which is all written out uh, on physical paper um, and sort of is a bit of a nonsensical uh, story from what we can gather from Joe's perspective. Um, He sort of begins to figure out that maybe he can solve his financial issues by essentially um, working for Norma and rewriting the script for her. And now, so this sort of starts as a bit of a relationship of convenience in that way. Uh, Joe thinks that, you know, yeah, he can sort of, I guess, make the most out of this. He can sort of do uh, a half-decent job on this script and, and sort of maybe he can milk it for all that it's worth. But they, they never shy away from showing us how, just how uncomfortable Joe is in this initial, I guess, half an hour of the film. Um, you know, she Norma really asserts her sort of dominance on the situation. She sort of tells him that money is no issue, and that um, she trusts him because he's a he, he was born in December, um, which is a which is pretty funny. It just goes to show one of those things of, of Norma the way that Norma's mind works and how fickle it is, and I guess um, maybe hints at sort of a, a bit of a grander delusion going on. Um, and yeah, as as Joe sort of becomes. More and more entrenched in this house, and more and more stuck uh, with the inhabitants, which is just Norma Desmond and her and her butler, male servant Max. Um, he begins to become quite uh, isolated and um, and quite, I guess, uh, disturbed by by Norma's presence. Specifically, there's a lot of scenes of of Norma. Um, sort of lurching over the back of him and, and watching him write almost scene for scene and, I guess, taking a really heavy-handed um, uh, position in the process. You know, she she doesn't let him throw out scenes. You know, she's very protective of her script. Um, and it sort of becomes this uh, relationship where she is just completely um, shadowing over Joe, Um so obviously uh, with this, Joe's uncomfortable, you know, there's a very distinct age difference between the two. I think Joe's character is probably playing somewhere in his 20s, um, whereas Norma Desmond is um, supposed to be in her, in her 50s. Um, so there is this sort of um, slightly predatory angle, but it's also predatory from both sides. Um, and this is what's really interesting about um, all of the characters in, in Wilder's films is that they usually all come at things from a selfish angle and trying to get something for themselves. And he, he really doesn't shy away from these characteristics in, in his main um, lead, antagonists and protagonists. You know, he understands that, that all people want something from life. They all want something from other people. And they're going to go about getting that something however they can, whether it be, you know, Joe um, essentially feeding this... Um, this mental crisis from this aging uh, wealthy woman, um, and sort of giving her false hope about a return to Hollywood, um, just so that he can make you know a quick buck and you know milk it for all that it's worth. And absolutely on the other side of things, Norma Desmond is is using Joe. You know, she's 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 using him not only just to try and write her scripts, but also to feel relevant again and to feel connected to people and to not feel lonely. Um, so. Absolutely, you can sympathize with both characters and you can also feel like each character is a predator in their own way. And um, yeah, that just absolute dark mirror that that Billy Wilder always holds up to the American audience and public uh, is ever present in this film throughout, especially as things begin to spiral. Um, Now, this will be a sort of spoilerish review, uh, but I do want to talk about one segment in particular because I feel like it's a really, really important segment to the film which is the segment when the film is finished, um, being written, and Norma and Joe submit the film to her old pal, uh, Cecil B. DeMille, who I couldn't believe was actually uh, acting in this film. Um, so that was a really nice surprise, um, as well as a few pop-ups from people like yeah, Buster Keaton um, and Eric von Stronheim as well. So um, th- that was great. But specifically, when they go to see Cecil B. DeMille in the old studio, there's this absolutely fascinating moment where Norma Desmond uh, is welcomed to set by Cecil B. DeMille. You know, up to this point, I think we've sort of seen her in a lot of a negative light. We've sort of, um, the audience is sort of told um, to think down of her, to think that she is being manipulative and delusional and, you know, she has very little redeeming qualities. But what this scene does uh, absolutely transcends that. Um, you know, she's welcomed in by Cecil B. DeMille and he says, you know, people who are making jokes about her saying, you know, she's so old and what is she doing here? He defends her and he says, no, well, you didn't know her when she was 19. You didn't know when she was a bright faced, you know, young actress who really cared about the craft and who was a pleasure to work with and to be around. And I, I think that this is a, this is a really beautiful moment because because it sort of breaks this illusion that we've had of Norma up until this point in the film into to thinking her of her as an antagonist or as something um, to, to, I guess, despise. But now we feel absolute strong sympathy towards her. And I think that in the back half of the film, um, the antagonist and protagonist positions actually swap. You know, up to this point, Joe has been um, the antagonist because, you know, he's sort of stuck in this in this situation. Um, but after he realizes that he is making money and that this is a really comfortable situation for him and he can still use Norma um, for all that he can and without really caring about her, um, he sort of becomes our antagonist in a way. And as we learn more about the history of Norma Desmond and and the way that people are enabling her and, and essentially feeding this delusion that she has, she absolutely becomes... A protagonist in a way of this story. Um, and there's a fascinating moment where Cesar B. DeMille lets her sit on the director's chair and he essentially tries to figure out why she's come down, um, only to find out that, you know, um, people are trying to use her car for the film and. And in a beautiful moment, um, one of the old lighting guys, um, one of the gaffers on the film set that they're working on, turns the spotlight onto Norma, and she sort of basks and bathes in this beautiful sunlight and glow, and people stand around her, and you really understand in that moment just how fast Hollywood can turn you into something, you know, like from one moment, you know, she's being laughed at, and the next moment, you know, with, this, with the spotlight on her... Again, she is sort of elevated and lifted to this other ethereal plane of existence and to to live in that for, you know, decades and decades and to have it taken away. And we see that, you know, um, entire arc represented again as the spotlight is, is pulled away from Norma yet again. And Cecil B. DeMille walks her out of the studio unable to have the heart to tell her that she's irrelevant and that her position in Hollywood faded a long time ago and that that spotlight that she's been looking for just isn't in existence anymore and that it's gone. Um, and you know, I think this is a brilliant, brilliant film about, you know, what happens when that spotlight is gone, you know, what, what remains, um, if, if Hollywood sucks the soul out of you and then, and then takes away everything that gives you purpose, you know, who are you when everything is said and done and, wow i mean for 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 me this this was an absolute monster of a film um to have a moment like that let alone i won't talk into specifics about the ending but if you've seen the film you know just how tragic how uh beautiful glorious horrifying um scary sad that that final scene is and that final moment is and every billy wilder film i've seen has has had an absolute 10 out of 10 ending and this film is absolutely no different it brings home everything um uh, one thing i will talk about the ending is just really quickly is 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 the way that norma looks down into the camera and in, in these final moments and sort of i think to some extent during this film the audience is told that, you know, the villain is Hollywood, you know, the villain is the enablers, it's the people who who give these people spotlight and then take it away, and to some extent, you know, that is true, and that, that is what we're led to expect, but then in the very last moment, Billy Wilder always has something really poignant to say, a one last, I guess, stamp to make on this story, and with this film, it's absolutely that, we as the audience play just as big as a role as Hollywood do in lifting up these stars, in glorifying them, and then hating them and taking away their, I guess, uh, whole purpose of life. And and if if we can do that to our fellow human being, you know, um, idolize them and <laughs> and put them on pedestals and make them essentially godlike figures, you know, we still do it with Hollywood stars today. Um, and then at a moment's notice have everything ripped away from them you know that this is the result norma desmond is the result of of that line of thinking of that way of living and it's it's truly uh truly a really poignant last message that sticks with you after the film finishes um and i should probably talk about one last thing before we wrap this up but one thing that I really, really loved about this film, obviously, like I mentioned, you know, a lot of the actors um, in this film are essentially playing themselves or versions of themselves, and in that way, it's an incredibly meta film. You know, Gloria Swanson herself, who plays Norma Desmond, was a very successful um, silent film era star, um, so you know she understood that that how that transition to to talkies, you know, film films with sounds and who required different things from the actors was was really devastating for, for the industry and for a, a lot of people who had, um, who've been lifted to this sort of godlike status, um, as, as well as, you know, the, the, you know, the other actors, people like Buster Keaton making an appearance, you know, that's really poignant as well. Um, Eric Van Stronheim as well, playing Max that, you know, who I didn't really get to talk about much in this review, but is a fascinating character, um, who used to be a director working with Gloria Swanson. character Norma Desmond's and was her ex-husband but now sort of serves as her butler um and who sort of gave up her career for her and but is also really complicit in her madness because you know he's feeding her delusion and he he just doesn't have the heart to tell her just like many other of the enablers in this film so it's an incredibly meta film in that way um and I think it could only be made by someone who understood the industry as intrinsically as someone like Billy Wilder um there's some absolute expertise, direction in this film as well. Some fantastic moments and always some excellent, excellent dialogue as well. Um, one line that will, will stick with me is, is Norma Desmond saying, you know, um, the, the pictures went and got small. And I, I think that if, you, if there was a line to encompass um, the entire message of this film, then, then that would be it. So thank you so much, guys, for joining me for another episode of... Of the Dramaturgically podcast, um, it's been an absolute pleasure. I love talking about Billy Wilder films. Um, I love this film Sunset Boulevard, and I really hope you join me for the next episode. Um, if you enjoyed this episode, um, please feel to check me out. Feel free to check me out on uh, Letterboxd. Uh, my name is just Stephen Clark and um follow along with the podcast you know subscribe like um feel free to you know give me some feedback give me some comments any films you want me to check out as well because you know as i sort of go on this journey through uh classic and foreign cinema i'm always looking for recommendations um you know I, i'm always looking for for new directors new new people new voices um that i can intake stories from because um, just like a lot of you guys i just absolutely love cinema So thanks so much guys and until next time, have a great day.